0: All over the world, Christians observe today as Palm Sunday, marking the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And the John's Gospel expi- explicitly says clearly, it says that people were waving the palm branches. That's the only place you find that. John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And that's how we have Palm Sunday. But this morning, my focus would be to concentrate from the gospel of Mark. We are going to talk about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the Gospel of Mark chapter 11 verses 1 to 11. Mark chapter 11 verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to of His disciples said to Go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a cold tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? untying that colt. They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the coal to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Kindly be seated. You know, this is the first and the last time Jesus comes to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Mark. And it's not that, you know, Jesus was so welcomed in Jerusalem. In fact, the Galileans, though they were Jews, You know, when they came to Jerusalem, they were considered as fellow Jews, but not as fellow citizens. So people of Jerusalem, they had a different kind of view as far as Galileans were concerned. So when you're talking about Jesus entering Jerusalem, and this is first time, and remember he is coming with a big group from Galilee. And you can expect what kind of treatment that Jesus will get in Jerusalem. If you find it difficult to accept, you know, there are many places. Uh, the, the best example I can think of is in Kerala. You know, Malayalis are Malayalis everywhere. But matanjeri Malayalis are different from the mainland. You have to go and stay in that place and then you will see how people react, how people respond. I'm just giving this example for you to understand how Galilean Jews were treated in Jerusalem. Not not as fellow citizens, but as fellow Jews. To that extent, they tolerated. If you find it difficult to accept it, you know, you remember that when The servant girl, when she confronted Peter, the first thing she said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. That's the way she asked. And Peter denied it. And the third time, again people, those who are standing there said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you uh, away. There was a kind of You cannot call it as an anniversary. It's not that they were so... uh, They were not welcomed in Jerusalem and Jesus is entering. This is gospel of Mark. Besides this, Jesus has already warned his disciples, you know, when I go to Jerusalem, the leaders there, they will reject me. You know, they will mock at me. They will flog me and they'll kill me. Imagine, your leader is telling, when we enter that place, you are following that leader, and he's saying, when we go to that place, they will mock at me, they'll flog me, they'll kill me. Do you think you will be going very happily, following? You know, that's what was happening here. Jesus had warned the disciples thrice in the gospel of Mark. The last time he warned them, he said in Mark 10, 33 to 34, he said, We are going up to Jerusalem. He said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Do you think you would like to be you would like to be part of a crowd? You would like to follow your leader who is going there? who is going to be mocked, who is going to be flogged, who is going to be killed. What will be your, you know, your feelings as you are following Jesus? You will be, all these years I have followed him, I don't know what's going to happen, I wish I did not come, I wish I could escape. This is the kind of feelings you will be having. But, there is also another aspect to Jerusalem. After all, Jerusalem is the capital of the chosen nation. And Jerusalem was supposed to be the light to the nations. So when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, remember it also has the significance that Jerusalem was supposed to be the light to all the nations. And of course the temple, the very presence of God, is there in Jerusalem. At this particular time, Jesus, when he's entering Jerusalem, it also marks the Passover time. So if it is the Passover time, you can expect lots of pilgrims to march into Jerusalem. So there was a huge crowd must have been there going towards Jerusalem. They're also going along with Jesus. Now, Jesus had all the possibilities of entering Jerusalem discreetly, quietly, because there was already a crowd. He did not have to make any announcement, I'm coming to Jerusalem. He could have also joined the pilgrims and he could have just entered into Jerusalem. It was possible. But what's happening? Jesus did not do that. Instead of that, he is ensuring that everyone notices his arrival. He is on the royal procession. You know, without making noise, he could have gone. Instead of that, he is trying, he is doing something which will attract the attention of everyone in Jerusalem. This royal procession. Was it required? And if it is required, then there is something significant for all of us to learn from this royal procession. Jesus intentionally could have gone in secret. Instead, intentionally, he goes in public. He is on a public display. He is taking a royal position. What is the purpose of this? He is telling the people, I am the king. I am the king. And this morning I want to draw all our attention to show that Jesus is the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And once you know Jesus as the king, then You know, our life also demands a different kind of response. Because he's going to show not only Jesus, the king of Jews, once he shows that as Jesus, the king of Jews, he also becomes Jesus, our king. So this morning, my entire focus would be to prove, to show, to establish that Jesus is the king. Let us not have any doubt. Jesus is the king. That will be the focus. You know, nowhere else in the Gospels we read Jesus riding. Have you ever seen anywhere? This is the first time. All of a sudden. You know, to all other places he went on foot. Walking, walking, walking. or, Or at the most by boat. But nowhere you find Jesus riding. He goes to the mountaintop, walking. But this is the only place where we read Jesus riding. And once he asks for a cold, and once he's mounted on it, he becomes the center of attention in his entire position. He is the focus. You know, he is making a deliberate departure from his usual pattern of traveling. I'm not going to walk on foot. You know, I'm going to ride on a colt. Now, at Passover, you might think, what is He went on a colt? At Passover, there is a general understanding, or at least general teaching, the pilgrims who come to Jerusalem, if they are in good health, they are supposed to walk and come. Not riding on a boat, riding on a donkey. They are expected, the pilgrims are supposed they are doing a pilgrimage to the temple and they are supposed to walk and enter. And Jesus is making an exception. It's not that he's not well. He is drawing attention of everyone deliberately. Deliberately, not only, you know, if Jesus is riding, you know, all will be thinking, oh, what's happening? Are we not supposed to walk and go to Jerusalem? Why is he writing? This is the first time you see Jesus is intentionally trying to catch the attention of the people otherwise elsewhere you know in in, the, in all other narratives you see that Jesus does the miracles and then what happens he goes to the mountaintop all alone to pray but in this particular instance he's making it a point let everyone see me every move of Jesus is attracting attention of everyone his followers his opponents, the religious teachers, the rulers, he is deliberately drawing their attention. And he has already predicted what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Despite that, he is doing this. Now what happens the moment he mounts on the court, you know, there is a great volume of praise and worship is going on. In Mark chapter 11, in 8 to 10, it says, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches. They had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Don't you think when people say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. He is drawing attention of the Roman rulers. He is drawing, don't you think so? Openly, he is drawing the attention of the Roman rulers. Here is a king. He is, it's, he, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father. Jesus is not scared. He is not scared. Now, what's happening here? Have you noticed the crowd, they have perceived Jesus as the king. It's a spontaneous reaction. It's it's a spontaneous response. You know, this crowd that is there, they were not told. You know, it's not that... You know, tomorrow, today we have worship practice. You come, we do practice first. No rehearsal. No rehearsal. Remember this incident very clearly. That's why it's important for us to understand. There was no rehearsal. And the crowd, the entire crowd was shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming, king, coming kingdom of our father, David. And for all this, we know that disciples were not good cheerleaders. Am I right? And after hearing those three warnings, and Jesus has clearly told them, the disciples must be thinking, oh my goodness, I wish I had not followed him. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We thought kingdom will come. And here kingdom is not coming. He's going to be crucified. So definitely disciples are not a great factor. There is something happening here. The entire crowd is shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. You know sometimes people say the crowd which shouted Hosanna they crucified. No, it's not right. It's not right. It's not the crowd which shouted Hosanna which crucified Jesus. Let's be very clear about it. Jesus has not yet entered Jerusalem. It is not yet entered. Read the Gospels carefully. It is a crowd which is going with Jesus. The crowd that's coming along from Galilee. And the pilgrims who have come, they do have recognized him as king. And they are shouting. This crowd did not crucify Jesus. You know, quite often we hear in the sermons, but I don't think it's the right thing. They had some kind of revelation within themselves to say, here is the king. I wish that revelation comes to us today here in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us recognize that Jesus is the king. The crowd could recognize. How did they recognize? Because when we go back to Psalm chapter 118, 25 to 26, Lord, save us. That's for the Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Basically, they knew their songs very well. And they knew today the King has come. Today the King has come. They had that revelation. And that's the reason they were praising. So they were rejoicing. You know, the worship keeps saying, you know, open your mouth. open your." Nobody said open your mouth. Nobody said. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were shouting. That's what was happening. Because they've seen the king. The king for whom? They were waiting for generations. They've seen the king. And when you see that king, what you do? You bow before him and worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see Jesus as the king this morning. crowd was able to recognize Jesus as the king. And Jesus intentionally asked for a quote because he has come only in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So he knew by asking for a quote he is pointing the people to the prophecy that was made in Zechariah. So he has come as fulfillment in Zechariah chapter 9, 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. This king belongs to the ends of the earth. Amen. That's our king this morning. We worship this king. is coming the order of David. The fulfillment of all that have been said in the Old Testament. He is our king. He is our king. Jesus is our king. Amen. 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 He is our king. He is not a prime minister. He is not a president. You can remove him. He is the king. He is the king. He will always remain as the king. And in Mark 11, 4, it says, they went and found a court outside street tied at a doorway. Any Old Testament prophecy comes to your mind? They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. He does everything in the fulfillment of the scripture. Go back right to the book of Genesis. You see in Genesis chapter 49 when Jacob blessed his children and when he blessed Judah in 10 to 11, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to your wine. He will tie his donkey to your wine, his coat to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine. His robes in the blood of grapes. What is your response? If Jesus, if this is Jesus, what is your response this morning? It is not just accidentally he asked for a call. Jesus is doing everything intentionally with a reason. He never does anything without a reason, without a purpose. Nothing happens in your life without a reason or a purpose. You might not understand. But God knows. Amen. He is the king. When you go, when you read in Genesis, and do you see the coming Messiah? He is the coming Messiah. The gospel of Mark. You see this coming Messiah. He has come. People were waiting and waiting from Genesis onwards. For generations, for thousands of years, they were waiting. And today that king has come. It's a reality. You know, when the symbols and signs, when when the reality happens, the symbols just disappear and people are rejoicing. You know, do we have that kind of a joy? Because we have seen that reality. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are not waiting for the king to come. The king has already come. And this king will come again. Are you waiting for that king? These people were waiting for that king. And they had the heart to rejoice when he entered Jerusalem. It's not that he's going to give them some gift vouchers. They didn't come there because he's going to give them some freebies. They saw the face of the king. And that gave them the joy. Do you have the joy? When you see this king. He is the king. He is the king. There's no other king. He is the king that was prophesied right in the book of Genesis. And he is marching into Jerusalem what is your response this morning it's okay to just hold a palm branch in our hand but to recognize that person as the king is what makes that you know event more meaningful interestingly if you read the scripture remember People were well versed in the scriptures, not like us. We are illiterate when it comes to scripture. Then you, they recognized. You know, people have read their scriptures so well, they were waiting. They spent their life. You know, when you read about Simeon and Anna in the temple, you know, you read. She married and for she lived with her husband only for seven years. After that she was a widow and she was waiting in the temple for 84, till she was 84. What was she doing there? She knew the scripture. She was waiting for the Savior to come. 84. Over 50 years she has been doing what? Night and day she was worshipping and praying. Waiting for the Saviour. What has happened to our hunger for this savior? For this king. Do we have this hunger for this king? Interestingly, Solomon also wrote on a cold on the day of his enthronement. It's interesting. First Kings one thirty eight it says so Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaya the son of Jehodiah, the cher- Cheratides and the palatites went down. They had Solomon ride upon King David's donkey and they brought him to God. You will find the word mule in your versions, but the NCB quotes it as a David's donkey. We know what happened in Jerusalem after Jesus entered. With so much of fanfare, he entered Jerusalem. He didn't hide his identity. This is the first time he's revealing his identity. You know, whereas if you read the Gospel of Mark carefully, he will say, "Do not tell. Me. Don't go. Don't go and announce about myself." But here, intentionally, he's revealing his identity. In a week's time, in a few days from now, you are going to flog me, you are going to mock me, and you are going to crucify the king on the cross. When we come here on Friday, it's not just a good person who was crucified, the king has been crucified on the cross. He has revealed his identity, he is the king. human beings are so bold to crucify the king himself. What happens? He died, buried on the third day he rose again. What happened after that? He ascended into heaven. And what happened? God made him sit at the right hand. at His right hand. He gave him the rightful place to Jesus. He said, now, You know, you have been exalted to the highest place. You are the king now. Everything is under your authority now. Go back to Psalm 110 and verse 1 it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand and until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let not this Jesus name be so... So casually on our lips. He is the king. King. King of the universe. Until we have that realization. Because somebody said that you will be only a Christianity by in your lips. Until this Jesus is enthroned in your heart. The name Jesus becomes a common name. Let it not become a common name. It's not a common name. He's Jesus, seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You know, many people, they just, Jesus, they consider very casually. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. You know, sometimes people mock at Christians. They will keep mocking at us. But he is seated on the throne, and it has been told very clearly until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. They may kill few of us, but they cannot fight this king. He is seated on the throne. If anyone has this illusion by killing few people, that they can eliminate Christianity. They are in a fool's paradise. He is the king who is seated on the throne. He is going to come back. Come back. This Palm Sunday is important for you and me because when you go to the book of Revelation and you read chapter 7 verse 9, it says, After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is a very, very significant event in the life of Jesus. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is a very significant event because he is revealing himself as the king. And it's important for you and me to recognize he is the king seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus has the power and authority to protect us from all evil and wickedness. He has the power. Nations will rise against us. Authorities will rise against us. But Ah, he is our refuge. The king is there to take care of us. We don't have to live in fear. If he is the king, then he demands our loyalty. If Jesus is the king, then he demands our loyalty. Till this Jesus becomes the king over our life. Remember, we are worshipping somebody, something, somebody, somebody else. Tell this Jesus becomes the king over our life. We are knowingly, unknowingly, we are elevating good things to the best and we are worshipping those things. Somebody said, whenever you elevate any good thing in the place of God, ultimately to kill you Allah all the idols ultimately will lead to destruction all the good things when you think oh if I have this I have everything in my life when you think like that you have given that good thing. Place that's meant for God. Let God be God over your life. Let Him be king over your life. Let Him rule over your life. Let Him be so powerful in your life. Give up your control to God. Let God be king over your life. I hope none of us will have this doubt whether Jesus is really the king or not. Right from Genesis onwards, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, explicitly, very publicly, he is telling each and every one, I am the king. I am the king. He's declaring it publicly, I am the king. Now this morning, I want to ask you, appeal to you, request you, make Jesus the king over your life. If you have no doubt about the identity of Jesus, if you have accepted that Jesus is the king who is seated at the right hand of God, and today he reigns over the entire world, Remember if you read in Corinthian letters, you will say that, you know, then the end will come when Jesus will hand over the kingdom back to God the Father. So right now everything is under him. There's no fight between God the Father and God the Son. Right now everything is under the authority of Jesus. One day he'll come back. Are you ready? Are you ready? So make Jesus the king all your life. How do we make Jesus the king over my life? In every decision you make. In every decision that you make, small, big, important, in every decision you make, is Jesus the king over your life? In every relationship, not that this person is very jolly, funny, You you need to understand to what extent you can have certain relationships. You need to have boundaries in your relationship. Let Jesus be king over your relationships. In your profession, if you think that you are in an organization where they are into certain unethical means, and if you are a child of God, Get out of that place. If Jesus is the king over your life, we have no business to be in that place. If a company is involved in unethical means, you cannot transform that company. You can always say bye-bye and get out of that company. That's how we tell that Jesus is the king over my profession, over my job. Your finances, let me give you a practical example. You know, we are living in a cosmopolitan city, so what people do? They go and consult a financial consultant. You know, we what does he ask? How much is your income? And then they say, Let's assume the husband and wife working, this is my income. He'll say, okay, you have so much of income, you can take a loan like this, you can buy a house like this, car like this, that's it. He will give you an estimate. He will give you a plan where you will be left with very little money. Okay, as a child of God, how do you handle your finances? You go to the same consultant and you tell him, see, this is my income. This is the amount which has to go to the kingdom of God. After that, I've left with only this much. If you have a plan, tell me. Otherwise, it's fine. You realize how Jesus becomes the king over your finances? Otherwise, the finance is the king over your life. Money is the king over your life. I'm just giving you some practical examples when Jesus becomes the king over your life, how it affects every aspect of your being, you know, your relationships. Is Jesus, if I enter into this relationship, will Jesus be king over this relationship? When you are alone, the kind of thoughts that comes to your mind Ask yourself: Is Jesus the King over my mind, over my thoughts? If you have accepted that Jesus is the King, then it is our response to give Him the due place in our life. It is not enough just to recognize that Jesus is our King, but it is important. He is the King in my life. In my life, so when. When you are alone, what happens? The best time to find over your mind. You can read Romans chapter 12 verse 2 and find out over your mind. Let me put it this way. Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you have the mind of Christ. If Jesus is the king, then we need to have the mind of Christ. Over your spiritual life, I said, the things, the good things of the world are constantly vying to take the place of God in our lives. They're, const- they're good things. They're good. I'm not saying we are all bad people. I'm not saying we are evil. But the good things have taken control over our hearts and minds that our passion for Jesus. It's not there. We don't have passion. Nothing excites us. The name of Jesus no longer excites us because there's no passion. Over your body, How well you are taking care of your body? The way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you exercise. We take control over that when Jesus is the king, we take care of the body because in resurrection we'll have a physical body, a glorified body. So we take care of our body. It's important. When you say Jesus is the king, then you need to ask, we need to, I need to ask, is he king in every decision, in every relationship, in my profession, in my ministry? Is he the king? Or do I want what I want to do? In my finances, when I'm alone, over my mind, over my spiritual life, he is, you know, he is wants an intimate he wants such an intimate relationship with each one of us sometimes i feel that we are not even ready i'm sure some of you might be ready because we are so caught up with the things of the world so caught up so caught up we almost go to him and we are dead tired doing it as a formality he wants an intimate when we have lots of energy in us he wants us to be in his presence not when we are exhausted and totally worn out say Lord thank you, hallelujah amen, bless me with a good night's rest and he becomes the king the best of our time and best of our energy is in the presence of God I'm challenging myself. I'm telling myself. I'm preaching to myself. You know, in John 18:36, it is said, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, but now my kingdom is from another place. Now, the moment we believe in this king, what happens? We are drawn into this kingdom of God. The moment we believe because Jesus is the king, we are drawn into this kingdom. Kingdom of God. Now this kingdom of God, if you read the Greek word carefully, the kingdom of God is not a particular place. It is not a particular realm. You know, when you understand this carefully, it's talking about a reign, a a type of administration. You know, it's like you know, the, your, in your company, the new CEO takes over, or football, if the new coach takes over, what happens? Everything happens new according to his values, his priorities, you know, his uh, goals. Things changes. Everything will be new. The new CEO will not follow the old CEO, he will start doing the new things. He wants to, he has certain goals. You know, the new coach has taken over, the time will change, the kind of exercise will change. Everything will change because the new coach has new set of values and priorities. So when Jesus becomes the king and nothing has happened in our life, we still go with the same old set of values and priorities. We are not people of the kingdom. We will be in this world, but the values and the priorities, they come from above. Amen? Amen. We are still following the management techniques. of oh, this book, that book. How to do this, how to do that. These are all worldly things. That kingdom is from above. He is asking you, am I dominating you in every sphere? Every area am I dominating you? Then only he becomes the Lord over my Whether your personal life, private life, whatever life it may be, am I dominating it? And then Jesus becomes the king over your life. This morning, is Jesus the king over your life? I want you to ask this question. It's important because Jesus revealed himself as the king. Very clearly has revealed himself as the king. We don't need more proof. Jesus says, when you believe in me, you enter my kingdom and I will teach you the new values and priorities I have for your life. Hereafter, it is not about what you want. You know, too often, Lord, I think this is what I want. And Lord, you just approve this. He's the king. You don't go to your king for approval. You go to king for directions. What you want me to do. Most of the Christians, what they do? Lord, this is my desire. Please fulfill. No, no, no. no, no. He is not king. He is not the master over your life. You are the master and you are just trying to pacify yourself. I have gone to God. God is a good God, gracious God. You keep saying 101 times, but you are not serving the king. If you want to serve the king, come to the king and ask him. I have given my life. You now dictate what you want me to do. Give me a dictation. Today you, what you want me to do. And I'll do that. Are you ready for such a relationship with this king? Otherwise you'll be just following few rules. And you'll be thinking that I'm a Christian. You're a Christian only when you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you take directions from this God. You take, because He is the King. He is not a Prime Minister, a President, you can replace Him. He is the King. King forever and ever and ever. Amen. I want you, I want all of us, to make this Jesus as the King over our life. Are you ready? Are you ready? You may have to change your priorities. You may have to change your entire things. Things may not happen as you want because you want what your heart desires. But now my desire is not what my heart desires. My desire itself is Jesus. My heart's desire is Jesus. Unless you understand you will never enjoy any good thing in your life if you can't see the good God behind those good things. The good things will remain your God if you cannot see the good God behind those good things. When you make him king, what we are doing is, it's not that you should not have good things. No, not at all. It's not that you should not have money. You should not become rich. No, not at all. But every time you you understand behind that there is a good God, good God. You are not worshipping the good things. You are worshipping the good God. You know as children of God, yes we have this God. Come what may in our life, He will fight our battles. He is the warrior God. I don't have to sit and worry. I don't have to be afraid. You know people will come with all kinds of rules. You know governments will come with rules. They will try to persecute. They will try to harm. You know Our own family members will try to tarnish your reputation. But remember, he is the God who will fight your battle. When you make him the king over your life, you don't have to worry about the threats that you face. He will take care of all the threats and he will be the king over your life.